Hi, my name is Pasha Marlowe, and this is the Let Pleasure Be the Measure podcast. We are going to have so much fun together. I hope that our conversations about pleasure light you up. And I hope they inspire you to reclaim your desires and create more space in your day to bring pleasure into your work, your family life, and yes, even your sex life. We will practice and explore the art of pleasure together. Let's play. Hello, everybody. This is Pasha Marlowe with the Let Pleasure Be the Measure podcast. I am thrilled to bring you today's guest. Jennifer Wiesner is a licensed clinical social worker and ASEC certified sex therapist, sex educator, presenter, and writer. She facilitates the popular Raising Sexually Healthy Children workshop, which I have personally attended, and it is fantastic. We will be getting into that later. Jennifer is a dear friend and one of the most wise and confident and empowered women I have ever met. It is my honor and pleasure to call Jennifer my mentor, my colleague, and my friend. So welcome, Jennifer, to the show. Thank you so much. And wow, what a welcome. And it is an honor to be your colleague, friend, and mentor, and all of those things. And congratulations on the book launch. Thank you. Thank you so much. Jennifer lives right down the street from me. And um, I'm so grateful to have you in my life, especially with the book launch. Because by the way, everyone listening, if you are ever going to launch a book or come out about your sexuality, (laughs) you should make sure that your best friend is a sex therapist and sex counselor. it's really helpful I just want to make sure you get that in the right order good to have around sometimes sometimes <laughs> absolutely I know no I I, I, tr- I would call you all the time with so many questions and I'm like oh let's uh you know make sure I don't t- t- call too much um always always a pleasure talking to you and you are full of wisdom so oh, thank you so much Yeah, I was excited to invite you to the podcast and I've been leading groups uh, related to sexuality and women in the LGBTQ community and women who are parenting children throughout this pandemic and questions keep coming up and I ask them, what do you want me to ask? This is your moment. What do you want me to ask? Jennifer and the number one question you'll never guess was how do I talk to my kid about masturbation? So that's where we're going to start. Thank you for coming, Jennifer. I know we're just going to go just dive deep. I know you go right for the jugular. I'm sorry, but I'm a sex therapist. We don't talk about masturbation. Just kidding. Sorry. Um, It is the number one question. You're absolutely right. And that I'm glad you did that because that is one of the number one things that shows up in my workshops. Because over 2,000 folks have gone through my workshops for raising sexually healthy children. And that is always on the top of the list. They want to understand my three-year-old is rubbing against the coffee table. My Uh five-year-old has a pillow pet and rubs against it in the living room. And a lot of parents, 
you know, the common thing that always comes up is a fear part. They worry, they worry, is this okay? Is this too much? Should they be doing it here? Should they be doing it there? And so, you know, what I always say is, first of all, what we know is um, it's healthy. It's normative for kids to explore themselves. We want them to explore themselves. It's healthy for them to find out about pleasure and self-soothing. I think sometimes we have to take our big person adult hat off when we're thinking about this when they're young. This is about self-soothing and comfort. And also just how do I make my body feel good? And so, you know, parents get really wrapped up when they hear the the big M word masturbation. Mm -hmm. And really it's just about allowing our kids to figure out their own bodies. Cause what we don't want is as they grow and turn into adolescents and, and adults that someone else ends up telling them about their body. And that's not okay. I actually consider that I call it criminal. It's criminal behavior, especially for young folks who have vulvas to let them grow up. And we don't talk to female identified folks um, about self-touch, sadly. And then what happens is their first partner educates them. That's criminal not okay. So um, what we can do is depending on, you know, if they're really young, a great thing to do is let them know when you see that behavior, say, oh, that must feel good when you touch your penis or your vulva and not, but, but negates and adds. And that's something you do in your bedroom or your bathroom when you're alone. Okay. Mm -hmm. And we move on. If cross ages that you would say that. Sure. Except when they're getting older, when they're getting a little older, that might seem a little infantilizing. Um, But basically you wouldn't, kids start to learn the cultural norms. You wouldn't, you know, unless there are kids, some kids with special needs, there are some kids that have um, sort of, you know, they're not, they're just the way their brain works. They might not be reading those cues. And that is something then, yeah, we would redirect. Remember that everything in sexuality when we're teaching kids is all about planting seeds. Mm -hmm. They're not going to get the message the first time. I would say maybe after the 600th time, they might get it. Um, But, you know, if your kid is at the dinner table and they're six and they're eating with one hand and have their hand down their pants with the other, you just want to, like you're telling them to pass the peas, you're just going to say, hey, Sammy, can you take your hand out of your pants, go wash your hands and let's keep eating. Remember, that's something we do up in our bedroom. No Mm -hmm. shame, no charge. It's just matter of fact. And that's how we want to treat sexuality. So we can bring it out of the closet and we can bring it out of the darkness that this is just a fundamental function of who we are and a wonderful part of who we are. And I was taught to have these conversations with my children. I have three children, two are adults, and then Jamie's 13, only in the car. Mm-hmm. So they're looking straight ahead. So you don't make eye contact. And, and what I find funny about that outside of the fact that I think that's quite limiting is that now in COVID, like, we're really just not going anywhere. We're, you know, <laughs> we're like, house. okay, we're going in the car and then the kids are going to start to learn that, oh my God, the car means we're going to have some talks. <laughs> the only time we go yeah. in the car. It's the only time. Um, when do sure. You- well, sure. Actually, those, that is a great time to do it. And what we actually, for adolescents, it can actually be dysregulating to have to sit face to face with a parent and talk about these things. So that that type of um, body posturing is helpful to be sitting side by side. That's where a lot of that comes from. And also, I don't know, something happens in the car. 
Yeah. Like it's just a lot of th- the conversations I can think of that come out of the car from both people that tell me in the workshops, but also just my own kids is, is amazing. Mm-hmm. We've talked about transgender folks. We've talked about um, rights, you know, sexual justice rights. We've talked about so many different things in the car, but mm-hmm. there are times when we can sit face to face. It depends on the child. If you have a child who would rather run screaming, you know, and light their own hair on fire, then it is best to find a way. And for folks, this is another question that might be following up. This one is how can I talk to my kid who's really reluctant or to the point where they, again, want to run away and light their own hair on fire? Um, What I usually say is connect with them on what feels most comfortable for them. Mm -hmm. Remind them that this is super important info for their, as they grow, and that it is a topic we will cover. You can normalize it and say, I talked to you about how to brush your teeth. I talked to you about how to cross the street. I talked to you about how to swim. You get lessons. The same is here. This is nothing different. And then remind them that they do have some control about how they can receive the information. Would they rather another wonderful place to talk to kids? I would say up until about the age of 11 um, is in the dark right before bed. It's such a, think of where they are. They're in their safe space. They're in their bed. They have their covers, their lovies, their things. Um, I find that kids will, I also hear this from parents, will be really open at those times in the dim light or no light at all. So again, you could ask them, do they want to have a journal that goes back and forth where they share questions that they have, or you put in information that you need to impart, you could do that. I would say giving your kid a book and saying nothing at else, not okay, but there are other ways to augment the conversations. So you don't just leave books around your house. (laughs) Notice, let me, let let me clarify that. Um, I call it the book fairy for the you know, people of our age who grew up where all of a sudden you came home one day and on your pillow is the book, you know, and there, no one says anything about it. That's not okay. Mm -hmm. Definitely use books. I'm actually a huge proponent of that is one of the ways to start broaching the topics from the time that they're three years old and up is reading certain books with them about bodies, sexuality, puberty, all of that stuff. But if it's the only way and there's no discussion, I hear from folks that that's just an unhealthy, unhelpful way to get information because it makes it taboo, right? It's this thing like I get a book, but nobody talks to me like what? And it doesn't teach our kids that as they grow, they need to learn the skills of how to talk to people. You can't, if you can't talk about sex, you shouldn't be having it. So starting from a young age makes all the other stages after that so much easier. Yes. And how do you explain, I was, I was sitting with my son the other day and I was playing on an Etch-A-Sketch. And of course the first drawing I made was a vulva. Of course. To which he didn't say anything because of course I would draw a vulva. And he said something like, I, I don't understand why people make such a big deal of genitals. Your vulva is no different than my elbow. And I'm like, well, technically, but, but I understand what he was saying. And I'm wondering how you, how you, suggest people language around body parts and start to normalize it. Yeah. That's another really good part. There's many reasons, you know, to, um, use proper anatomy. And it's again, another super popular question that comes up. And I mean, physicians, educators, they'll all recommend starting from birth with anatomical names, because even from birth, we're already, um, 
we're already giving information through the way that we touch, through the way that we don't touch, through the way that we clean their bodies, the things that we avoid, um, if we smack children's hands away when they touch their genitals, like that's all communicating information. So by being open and free about those things and then also using anatomical terms is super important. So, you know, you wouldn't call an elbow a bendy. So we have to ask ourselves why we wouldn't call it a vulva or a penis, right? So, or breasts or anus or whatever it is. Um, What I usually suggest is that parents need to ask themselves, Mm -hmm. is Mm -hmm. calling this body part something different in the best interest of my child or is this something else? Mm -hmm. And that's really the important question. It's usually goes back to our own baggage and our own fears. And so if that's the case, we're really not showing up for our kids in the best way that we can, you know, for their sexual lives. Um, So that would be, you know, the anatomical names from an early age, and then also checking in with ourselves about what is keeping us from having these conversations. There's actually a document that I created, and I am actually happy to share it with your um, your viewers or listeners, however we can do that <laughs> in virtual world. Um, but I call it the touch, the touch document or the touch method. And it's just an acronym standing for talk own your feelings, understand and acknowledge um, that this is not going to be easy, creating the safe environment, and then also honesty, spelling out touch. And underneath each of those letters are like key questions that most folks never ask themselves mm-hmm. once for themselves or when they have children. Like one of them would be, you know, what are my strong areas around talking about this? And what are my weak areas? Where do I really need to, you know, up my game? Or um, what are my values around sex and sexuality? And if I'm co-parenting, are they in line or different than my partners? Like, mm-hmm. you know, that's important. And if we practice a religion, Mm-hmm. How does sexuality, how is it viewed and how does it play into that? And what do I want to impart again to my children underneath that um, spiritual or religious umbrella, if we are looking at that? And then um, <clears throat> also consider what kind of role do I want to play? Mm-hmm. Do I want to be an educator or do I want to be a constant gatekeeper? And those are two very different things. And so those are just some of the questions that are on that document that help people. I would say you're going to find tons of books out there that are going to tell you what to say and how to say it, but you won't find this information. What do I need to do before I ever sit down with my kid or ever start reading with my kid? I really have to get in touch with myself, my own sexual baggage and my own values. Super important. Yeah. It, and it always is a fascinating conversation when asking people um, what their first talk with their parents was related to sex or how they, um, how they received even their first hygiene and feminine hygiene products. What was the conversation about that? Um, were, you, were there magazines or books like around the house or even what is our inherited like generations worth of value systems or even traumas that was passed down. And so when we're educating our children, all of this starts to come flooding back. And do you think that that's what causes the the fear and the anxiety more so than the actual educating, but all of the triggers that it brings up in ourselves from our past? Absolutely. I think the number one thing that impedes us from talking to our kids well about sexuality and bodies is fear. 
And it, again, that fear can come from our past, some of these legacy burdens that we carry. It can come from the way that we were brought up. And it can come from worrying that we just don't have the skill. We were never taught ourselves. Even today, um, I do um, I do a little survey of everyone that comes through my workshops of how many of you received helpful information as a young person that helped you make good decisions uh, about your body and sexuality. And literally in my small workshops where I do them in my office, there's always 11 people. I usually get one hand that will say yes. And so then I looked at when I I lecture at Bates once a year in in a, in a gender um, women's gender class. And I ask them the same question. And sadly, sometimes in a group of, sometimes it's a small group class, sometimes it's as many as 60, and I will get one or two hands. Even and so the even, so that's what, it, right? So what I'm saying is like, we are still not getting there. We're still, and that's why I'm here and why I wanna be like a superhero for this because it's needed. Yeah. And it just showed like, wow, we're, we're still not getting our, our arms wrapped around this and, and doing this better. And that's why I do this work because I really, I want folks to, to move into their sexual debuts, having what they need to make good choices, to have that muscle within them built up mm-hmm. that they feel they have the, the agency and the empowerment to do that. And we're just, we're just not doing that so well. Yeah, you and I have talked about just how sex education um, works within the schools right now and how devoid of pleasure it is. They freak the kids out thinking that adolescence is going to be scary. They actually preempt the conversation was, it's going to be a terrible time. It's going to be scary or gross or uncomfortable. In the air. <laughs> Hello, like, can, is there anything good about sure. it? Like, can we anything do- we're going to talk about? circle back to the pleasure or the empowerment or the extra freedoms that come with adolescence. Come on. Um, so yeah, you're right. Even in the, I, and, and it's surprising to me every time I hear about it and think about it, that it's still, it, it's still, there's so much work to be done right now. It, you know? it, it really is. And you know, that when we were just talking about self-touch, that kind of lays the foundation that it's okay to feel good in my body and it's okay that I can get myself there. Mm-hmm. Um, my God, that's what I want for my kids. I want my kids to know how to take care of their own body and make it feel good. So someday when they are ready, that they can then share that with someone instead of, again, having someone else do that for them. And, you know, all of that stuff when they're little, that lays the foundation of the health you know, self-touch and pleasure and brings awareness to the topic. And then that kind of gets scaffolded as the children grow to include, um, you know, them being supported and enabling them to become healthy adults. But we don't talk about that in their childhood. And so, you know, when they make that choice to become sexually active, um, I want them to be able to have a voice and to know how to respect their own and their their own pleasure, their partner's pleasure, to know that it's important. Mm-hmm. I want them to have a good sex life when they're adult. I, I, it would be interesting if I asked any parent and said, is that what you hope for your child? I think they would, Absolutely. except they get kind of hung up on that space in between. And yeah. so, you know, that's, that's, these are the important ingredients for consent and the beginnings of the importance of pleasure for all partners is by this early education that they desperately need. 
And what do you recommend for people who want to share uh, this value of pleasure with their children and whether it's pornography or vibrators, what is your belief on how much we can? I know it's individual, but what is your recommendation for how to share these tools with our children? I think with our children, you know, we start with the basics because we don't even have, most folks do not have the basics, meaning little folks, <laughs> that <clears throat> even by just educating them, again, about bodies, about touch, about consent, about boundaries, using books like Sex is a Funny Word by Corey Silverberg or using the Roby Harris book series, that developmentally lays out this information that they need. Just by virtue of having that and the fact that they, you know, um, specifically the Roby Harris book series talks about self-touch and masturbation as something that's healthy and normative, that alone brings the pleasure conversation in. I have met with some, um, you know, and have gotten calls from some moms of uh, teenage uh, female identified folks. And they've asked, like, is it okay to get my daughter a vibrator? And I would say that's an individual decision for you to make. If you feel like that's something that you want your child to have that type of pleasure, absolutely, you know, and and make sure if somebody's doing that, I think they're having the good conversations. Probably. Um, probably. The only thing I would suggest, though, around that, and this is just long term as a sex therapist and understanding sexual medicine, that what I hope if I had a daughter, I have two sons, as you know, um, would be that they learn how to pleasure themselves with what they have. Mm. That learning about pleasure with their own hand or anything else that's you know readily available to them, I think is a healthy way to start because what I have seen is some folks get hooked on the specific vibrational tone of a vibrator and then they struggle with being able to pleasure themselves without it or then doing partnered um, experiences. So that that's the only thing I get concerned about. So when I get those calls, I usually will then tell the parent to say, look, this is something adjunctive to add to your pleasure. Learn your, you know, your own pleasure, explore with your own hands and then use other things, mm -hmm. but try not to use it as the sole way that you become orgasmic or pleasured. Yes, that makes sense. And what would you say if your child, uh, I'm, I, I suppose any age is looking at pornography. Um, and I know there's a broad scope of what pornography sure. is. You find it on their phone or their laptop, um, or under their bed or wherever yeah. it is. But what do you suggest? This podcast is sponsored by Krista Hoppala sexologist and consciousness guide. I am proud to say that Krista is my own personal sexologist, the woman I turn to when I need to refresh my own pleasure practices. I highly recommend her to my clients and friends. Her website is kristahoppala.com. That's K-R-I-S-T-A-H-A-A-P-A-L-A.com. Lots of A's, or as I say, lots of ahs. It's all pleasure with this woman. Check her out. Don't scream. <laughs> oh, oh, I've gotten that call. Like for seriously, I, oh, it was one of the, actually, that's why I remember it so well. It's one of the best calls I ever got. Um, a mom called me up and said, oh my God, I found porn on my kid's tablet. And 
I knew someone who went to your workshop and I called them and they said what they remembered is don't scream at them. Don't react and call her immediately. (laughs) (laughs) And I was so proud of that parent because they, that's the moment that kids remember. I bet many of your listeners will be able to identify with this, that they can remember a moment when they were shamed. They can remember a moment where they were either engaging in pleasure or they were playing doctor with another child or something where they were outed and they, that stays. It's, I always say shame, especially around those early sexual experiences is sticky, like pine, you know, that stick, it doesn't come off very easily. It's really hard to, to move on from. So I tell parents, like, it's really important that we do come to these things like pornography on a tablet and, and be like, Hey, I noticed this is on your tablet. You know, can we talk about it? And again, depends on the child. I usually do a developed a specific plan and a consultation around that, but it's open conversation without interrogation questions, who, what, where, why, how better to say, so, um, so what brought you to this, you know, to this page or how did you get there? You know, I'm not mad. I want to understand because it's my job as a parent to keep you safe. Mm -hmm. And these images are things that kids, bodies and minds and hearts are not able to process. Mm -hmm. So let's, let's talk about it. Um, And making sure that kids unfettered internet access is not great. Um, Having, especially when kids are little, this stuff is so easy to fall upon. I've had it with my own kid where um, just pop-ups came on a, on a, a comic book page. And so these things are everywhere. So having a program, whether it's like Custodio, where you put it on the um, devices, up to five devices, and it will monitor and keep that stuff out. And it'll also give you other information. And this isn't about stalking your child. This is about putting sort of a governor and a safety mechanism on there. Some parents think that they can just go put that on and step away. What I say is no, that becomes the active stage. You put that on and you start educating. We want to teach them digital citizenship. It's not, this isn't, you know, the kind, the nuanced and in-depth stuff they're going to get at school. If they're even getting it only, you know, about half of the States in the U S have sex education. Mm -hmm. So we are lucky to have comprehensive sex education here, but they're not getting all of what they need because it is really a parent's job to do that. Mm -hmm. So what we want to teach about um, pornography is what it is. Mm-hmm. And what it isn't. Mm-hmm. And what it is, is it's fantasy. It's adults having sexual experiences with each other that they choose to video and put up on the internet for people to see. It is meant to thrill and it is meant to be novel and different. Mm-hmm. It is not something for kids, hearts, bodies, and brains. That's from Amy Lang out on the West Coast. I love the way she says that. Mm-hmm. Um, for them to have in their mind. I sometimes for a little bit older kids will talk about when we do things on computer, how it impacts our brain. I talk about gaming. I talk about anything that we do with a lot of repetition can have an impact. I don't, so that's the way I explain it. And that this is not something that we want to have a great impact because it is what it is not now is that it is not sex education. It is not anything like an adolescent relationship will look like or be. And it is also not be most of the behaviors. Many of the behaviors are not things that are going to um, be pleasurable to an adolescent relationship. 
kissing, hugging, hand-holding. I like to say, I want kids to learn on the job Mm. in those first relationships, not from other people's experiences. That's the other thing I'll tell kids, my own kids or other kids or parents is that we want to tell our kids, we don't want you to learn from someone else's experience. We want you to learn from your own experiences because what will happen is you may have certain expectations that aren't realistic. So that's just some of the information about pornography that I'll help parents with. Yeah. I remember my daughter in high school, this is now maybe six or maybe even eight eight years ago. All she typed in was little women image for (laughs) for her book report and up came of course, a little bit about the book and then a whole lot of pornography, which, which was my moment to open my eyes to what you just said, mm. which is don't just put a block on and that's your step away. Right. Because the internet now, and now it's even probably um, more expansive, but, but yeah, you just, um, it's, it's constant. It's a constant, it's, it's a constant thing. And because it can, it can sneak in because then we yeah. think about uh, kids going over to other kids' houses, maybe not so much right now, but it will happen again. And um, so, you know, just like we used to ask, is there going to be a parent home? Where do you keep your guns um, here in Maine? We talked about that. Yeah. And sometimes what I used to do is so I wouldn't have to deal with it. Say, look, you know, my kiddo had lots of gaming time or lots of online time today. You know, would it be okay if there was no online time at your house? Mm -hmm. That's some, you know, if you want to kind of skirt the issue a little. Uh, So just checking in on those things, because I hear sadly, again, in these consultations that I have or workshops, these things happen all the time, you know, Oh, they were at somebody's house and they, and if you think about it, all they have to do is Google, Oh, let's Google breasts, which would be very normative, right? Let's see. But, oh, the places they will go. And so when that does happen, what you can do additionally is say, hey, you have every right to be curious. That is super important and normative. And I have some books for you. Mm -hmm. These are some books. If you want to know what bodies are like, what they look like, what they do, um, let's read some of these books together. Yes. And, and maybe in the bio, cause I know you have your favorites of, uh, books for adolescents, children. Um, maybe we could include your top three favorite. Sure. That would be really helpful. Um, yes. And you mentioned also partners and when your partner and you disagree about when to talk about sex or how to talk about sex or te- and sexuality, um, how do you now, na- cause I know you also work with couples and families. How do you navigate that? It's tricky. (laughs) It's tricky. Um, You know, sometimes I'll find I have a phrase in couples work that I I call, is this my hill to die on? Meaning Mm -hmm. each partner should have, they will have areas that are so important to them that it is going to be their hill to die on and they're going to go to battle for it. And what I say is we should kind of figure out what those are and other things should be flexible, but really letting your partner know like, hey, this one area is super important. And sometimes I'll find that in couples, um, I will find that one person has a higher desire around that. Like that's more important. So we talk about negotiating that. We talk about um, what are the things that are important over here that need to be represented as well as over here. Um, it's really, it's a conversation. It's a conversation about what are what's behind that. Sometimes um, another thing I'll tell anybody in my workshops or couples is we have to, check out our values and our beliefs that we've been dragging around probably since childhood, maybe since, you know, um, being raised by our 
attachment figures, but also maybe early um, religious beliefs. How many of those do we still believe? And what do we truly want to pass on to our children? Because those are things we need to figure out. Some people just, it's kind of because I was told I'm going to do it this way, but we can have that pattern interrupt. We can make it different and better and more realistic for our kids. I'll often ask that question too. How realistic is that idea, you know, that they have around sexuality with regards to current societal norms? And it doesn't mean we follow all norms, but there are certain ones like statistics around how many kids by junior year have already had sex. And is it likely that your child will probably be in that group? And if you are telling them that they cannot have a boyfriend or can a girlfriend or whatever, a friend. Um, and if they cannot have sexual experiences, you know, how realistic is that? And if it, again, back to that religious piece, if you are um, someone who has religious beliefs, it's important that you explain them to the children. Mm-hmm. If you just tell them it's a no, that's what I learned. I grew up Catholic, 12 years of Catholic school. And Good I just, <laughs> and I just knew don't. Yeah. I didn't even know what it don't, what? just don't anything, Anything. don't anything. And so you have to explain and be able to hear them, you know, hear what the kids, you know, allow space for the kids to say how they feel about it. Um, And this is, you know, I usually say my values are not important and neither are my ways or my biases, but, you know, this is a podcast. that's a little different. What I would say is super important is that giving your kids a compass, we need to give them our expectations. Mm-hmm. But what we tell them is they are our expectations. They are not their expectations and they are not rules or laws. We, I have expectations for my sons, but I know that they're going to make their own decisions. But without my expectations, they don't have a compass. So it's important that we do share our values and our expectations with our kids, but in a way that allows them to understand, hear them, and then also have their own. Yes. And again, that some parents may totally disagree with me on that. And that's okay. <laughs> well, and that's okay. That's yes, totally fine. Podcast. Right. <laughs> do you think that there's anything unique? Of course there is. But do you, what do you think is most unique about this pandemic experience and how it's going to translate into children and adolescents experience with sexuality and partnering, um, just socializing in general is so weird this year, right? And so how have you seen that change in your practice and with whatever is coming up for, for kids that you work with? I think, I, I think we can't even know yet. Right. I've, I was musing about that a couple of days ago, like, wow, when we are all start to be in person again, mm. I mean, it's going to be interesting. You know, I'd want to race over and hug somebody, but will we still feel that like, Oh, should we do that kind of thing? Yeah. Um, I think, you know, kids have not really had the opportunity to have the types of um, experiences dating, you know, that they normally would have. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I feel kind of grateful that my son met his girlfriend five months before the pandemic. And, she, you know, she's her family's kind of our, our bubble person, yeah. bubble people. people. Um, but that would have been really hard. You know, and so I think things are going to be different. And it's like you said this year. And if we think about it, it's probably going to be more like 18 months, Mm -hmm. you know, and so that's, that's a long span for, you know, during that adolescent phase, I think we are resilient. Mm 
Um, but I think I can't even still, I can't fully fathom what type of impacts it's going to have. My hope is that we don't sort of stay stuck in the virtual world mm -hmm. because I think so much is lost uh, skill-wise, negotiation-wise, um, just interpersonal skills. So I'm really hoping that we don't sort of move our entire life to the virtual world. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. For and couples though, I, I have seen lots of folks to sort of switch it a little bit. I have seen lots of folks getting very creative, very creative with e-flirting and e-dating and sort of things that they said they would never do. Like, well, geez, how am I going to meet anybody? I will write a profile and, oh, I will try this dating app. And actually I think dating apps, most of them were up about 20% during this 2020 really? pandemic. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So people are trying new things because they are trying new things and being more creative in how they're doing it. You know, whether they're, you know, watching movies together on let's gaze or they're doing FaceTime dates or they're um, learning how to be sexual virtually. Like, I think they're, they're being very creative, but I digress. That's another well, I'm, podcast. Well, I'm sure, I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure they can figure out ways to Oh, I'm sure they are too. <laughs> ways we don't even know. They're using apps we've never heard of. Exactly. Exactly. I often wonder if some of the words he's, my son is using, I'm like, that have other meanings that I don't know. My older kids, my son, older son, who's 24 now loves tacos. So I was adding a taco at the end, a taco emoji at the end of every text I sent him because, because I was like, I know you love tacos and I'm your mom and I miss you. And he's like, Oh my gosh, mom, mom don't do that. <laughs> you just send the list of the things. Okay. I've got the taco and the avocado and the peach. And I can't keep up with all this. Eggplant. Don't forget eggplant. And eggplant. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> eggplant. Yes. It's confusing. And thanks. There yeah. are resources online and books and people like you to, to talk to. And so I know you do one-on-one -on -one consultations as well as your phenomenal Raising Sexually Healthy Children workshops. Um, how could people best reach you if they want to continue this conversation? Sure. I think um, best way, my website is Jennifer Wiesner, Healthy Sexuality. And um, I offer consults because not everybody, A, first of all, not everybody can come to a workshop. And also not now I am doing them virtually. So people can actually get like a group of 10 to 20 folks together, friends, colleagues, whatever. And I'll do a virtual workshop for you. I can do that. But then there are people who just don't want that. They want a targeted, curated 75 minute focus session on the, like, like I said, that person's like, pour it on my kid's tablet or my kid has told me that they are transgender or that they are bisexual and I don't know how to support that because it's just outside of my framework and so doing things like that those are super helpful and then they walk away with a white paper sort of plan for that um, so yep I can I can do that for folks and I do that for adults too I do sexual health consultations um, not everybody needs intensive therapy especially around sexuality what they need is again, a curated experience that is about the issues that they're dealing with from an expert who will give them recommendations, things to consider and, um, you know, um, resources. Mm -hmm. So that's super important, I think as well, that that's out there. And so, yeah, there's, I provide a lot of different things. I also work with therapists in consultation because most Therapists are not talking about sex in, in their therapy sessions and helping them be more competent in that. So I help with that. And dentists even and 
medical providers, everybody who comes into contact with folks that really needs to address sexual health. So, yeah. Well, and even last year you were talking about consulting summer camps and I was thinking, oh my goodness, of course, these conversations should be happening. Oh my Um, gosh. Yes. Because guess what? They don't check their sexualities at the gate when they come to camp. If anything, think of how many movies we have about seminal moments happening at camp right? You know, sort of those coming of age stories and staff are not briefed on this stuff. Yeah. So that was a, that was a fun camp when I did that last summer. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, and, and preschool teachers, Ah. I've, I've done the, I always forget the acronym, but the, the main early education childhood association, that's probably the wrong acronym, but um, where preschool teachers come together to get their continuing education. I did a three hour program for preschool teachers, because if you think about it, they are the folks who are spending the most time with our youngest age children, where children are doing the activities of their daily life, toileting, Mm-hmm. sleeping two places where they are interested in what's happening down there. And that can be a very shaming environment. So educating preschool teachers on that is super important. So well, yeah. I'm seeing now why you're so busy. Cause of course we didn't, get into, we didn't even get into consent, but I mean, obviously all of these conversations across the board, pretty much in any business or family or school need to happen. And yeah. so being an ASEC certified sex therapist is a, is a unique, um, and such a valuable, uh, career that you have chosen. I am so grateful to <laughs> for, for being I had here. no idea where it was going when it got there. I had no idea I was ever going to do this. So I'm just glad that I had this opportunity to yeah. touch all of these different areas. And one I still haven't even mentioned is I'm in the process of becoming a certified Um, sex and faith educator, which is where working with folks who have those religious beliefs and are struggling with how can I reconcile my sexual self with my religious beliefs if I'm a Christian of any type. And so I'm in the middle of that certification. That's been really wonderful too. That's fascinating too. Yes. That I, I think of all the topics that come up when I talk to people about sexuality and coming out religious trauma, yeah. religious beliefs, religious yeah. values, inherited religious values comes up as the number one um, yep. reason why people do not speak their truth. Right. Uh, such important work you do, Jennifer. Thank you so much for your time today you. and your wisdom and for your support. Thank Absolutely. You. <laughs> I'm so excited for you and where you're going and what's happening for you. So let's, let's be powerful together. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's join do forces. <laughs> oh, I do have one. Actually, can I add one more thing? Of course. Okay. There's just something that always, another thing that often comes up from parents is a lot of parents will say, well, my kid isn't asking, like, mm. I don't need to say anything. Right. And what I like to say is that actually there are some kids just by personality that will never ask. It's not their personality. And they may have read from you that maybe even if it was once by accident, that this is not something we talk about. And so they just won't, they could be shy. And actually, um, there was one study, I think done in the UK, where it was something close to 50% of teenagers studied, didn't trust the sex advice that they received from their friends. And that 75% of them wished that they could talk to their parents more easily. Oh, wow. So I wanted to kind of wrap that up by saying, 
kids want us there. They may push back because again, the cultural norms say to do that. Well, I roll. The eye roll, they're gonna be like, la, 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 la. (laughs) But if, you know, are you gonna stop talking about drugs and alcohol? Mm. Are you gonna stop talking about safe driving? Mm-mm. Well, then we can't stop talking about how we put kids in, a, in adult bodies without all the information that they need. So if your kid isn't asking, that doesn't mean that they de- don't need the information. I strongly recommend, um, like I said, books by like Corey Silverberg or Roby Harris is always good because it's developmentally done. The first book is for four to seven year olds, which is um uh, it's not the stork. And then from seven to 10 is it's perfectly, um, it's so amazing. And then for seven to 10, it's perfectly normal. And so when people say to me, well, where do I start and what age? I'm like, these books lay it out for you. And to your, to just to, to validate all our folks out there, no one book that you read is going to really fully cover the beautiful landscape that is us and our families. Uh, you add in what you don't see there. And so from the time that my kids were little, my brother is gay. I work with transgender folks. That was something that I layered into all of their information. So don't be discouraged if one book doesn't have everything. That's where we come in and we add that stuff in. Yes. Nice way to wrap it up, Jennifer. Thanks. (laughs) Such good advice. If your kids aren't asking, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't be talking to them about it. That's going to be a need to do it again. That's our fear part. If we're not, it's our fear part. Yeah, absolutely. So tell us one more time, your, your website or the best way you want people to reach you in case you skip ahead to the end to find (laughs) Jennifer Wiesner and it's I E Wiesner, Jennifer Wiesner, healthy sexuality.com because that's just not enough words. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, you could always reach out to me to find Jennifer. Absolutely. Yes. And absolutely. um, I'd love to continue this conversation with you again another day, Jennifer. Anytime. Love to talk about this stuff, as you can tell. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) And if anyone wants to continue the conversation with me after this podcast, feel free to reach out to me, Pasha at PashaMarlow.com, or you could visit my website, Pasha Marlow or visit me on Facebook or Instagram at Pasha Marlowe. So thank you. Thank you, Jennifer Wiesner. Pleasure having you and everyone when you're making decisions today, let pleasure be the measure. Thanks so much, Pasha. Thank you, Jennifer. Jennifer.